0: Welcome to the Diageo Bar Academy Bar Chat Podcast. This is Tristan Stevenson. Today, I am joined by Grant Sini and Lauren Mote. Grant oversees the cocktail programme for the Fairmont Pacific Rim in Vancouver and was a previous Canadian world-class winner, placing fourth place in the global finals in 2014. Lauren is Diageo's global cocktailian, which means she travels a lot and talks about cocktails a lot. She's also the co-founder of Bittered Sling, a Canadian bitters brand, which we actually failed to touch upon in this episode. Sorry. But we did cover a lot besides that. This episode focuses on careers in the bar industry, what it's like starting out 10 or 20 years ago, how to plan a career trajectory, how travel relates to opportunity, and where Grant and Lauren see themselves in 5 to 10 years' time. Enjoy. Okay, I am here, remotely, with the wonderful Lauren Moat and the fabulous Grant Sini. Hey guys, how you doing? Good, me.
1: Super duper. How are you, Tristan?
0: I'm good, thanks. It's good to connect with you guys from we're in various locations, aren't we? Um, Lauren, you're in, you're in Amsterdam, right?
2: Amsterdam, yep. Yeah. Grant, where are you? I'm here in Vancouver. It's sprightly early in the morning, so thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: Pleasure. And, um, and I'm in darkest Cornwall. Um, The nights are closing in. Um, so And and this is what's cool, actually, in a way. But the fact that we've got to do these things disconnected means that it opens up a lot more opportunities for getting people on board internationally. And um, we're not sort of restricted to having to shift everyone to a studio space in London. So it's sort of wonderful in a way.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for having me on.
0: No, oh, we do appreciate you getting up early for this one. Um, or well, not up that early, right? You've got you've no, got a child and all that sort of thing. Was,
2: uh, the last hour has been pretty hectic around the house, getting around, out the house for childcare. So I'm up early these days. I'm sure you you are well aware of yourself, Tristan. Yeah, and but I know you... that feeling.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I fully expect there to be background noise of children getting fed their dinner. So well, if that happens, <laughs> then apologies. Um, so the episode, uh, this episode's really about careers and and sort of exploring the many faceted different approaches to our industry that you can now take you know what sort of once upon a time seemed to be quite simple you know you become a bartender you work hard you might get promoted to be a bar manager you might be inspired to open your own bar um and you know that was about it really uh, maybe you'll open more bars whereas now there are lots of different trajectories that a person can take working in our industry We've had new roles created and new ones coming up all the time. You've got one of them, Lauren, um, that didn't exist five years ago. Um, You know, the ambassador position itself has evolved to sort of take on marketing roles and sales roles and, you know, become brand management. Um, We've got, uh, individuals who are sort of just running cocktail competitions we've got bartenders who are starting their own brands whether it's bitters or gin or whatever else some people are doing all of these things at once you've got people writing writing books writing for industry magazines or, or online stuff it's like if you if you kind of try and sit down and work out what which one of these you want to do from this sort of menu of opportunities it can be a little bit overwhelming right so i and you guys are, are Super experienced, and you've done a number of these different roles. And so, I wanted to get you on board to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are, where you made these decisions, where you decided to go left rather than right, and pick this as a as a career possibility, or or perhaps even mistakes that you made along the way and regrets you had about taking one turn and not the other. So. In order to do this, I think the best start is to kind of get a little bit of bio background for everyone who's listening to understand where you've come from in the first place. So uh, Lauren, do you want to go first?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So it's excellent to be here and I'm I'm really happy to chat about one of my favorite subjects taking... (laughs) A random road that you weren't really sure where you were headed to. You just knew all the things that you didn't want to do more so than the things that you wanted to do. And I think a lot of the the time for me growing up, uh, it would have started when I was in um, when I was in between high school and university. I decided that I really wanted to focus on people, but then you can't just say I want to focus on people as somebody that's graduated high school. You have to actually have some sort of path. Um, so going to, uh, you know, I went to college and I went to university for a number of different subjects and, you know, I ended up finding my path through studying the cultures of people around the world and international relations and peace and conflict studies in university, which seems like a roundabout crazy way to come back to bartending. But I ended up taking this, I guess, learning about the understanding of different cultures and people around the world. And sort of incorporating that into hospitality was sort of like the really interesting academic side of of bartending. And of course, I loved creating drinks. And I loved, um, you know, being on stage being the comedian on one hand, and then being sort of like the I don't want to I never want to say the psychologist or anything. It's being a good listener on the other side. Um, and then from there, it just kind of all sort of continued to weave together for me, I guess, I'm, I've just celebrated my 20th anniversary as a bartender. Although I'm not standing behind a bar bartending anymore per se, still working in the bar industry and working with bartenders every day. So it's been a it's been a very interesting role coming up to this moment. And today, um, you know, that wasn't really a bio. I don't really remember the question in its entirety, but I hope that I answered it. But today, I work uh, I work for for Diageo in the capacity of the Global Cocktailion, which is uh, an ambassador in trade advocacy role that works across all of our brands in the luxury portfolio of Diageo, including Johnny Walker, uh, Tanqueray Tent, and Kettle One, but then also focusing heavily on the educational aspect and how we work with our 350,000 uh, bartenders around the world in the world-class program as the Global Ambassador. So it's, it's a pretty big and meaty program that uh, sort of evolved from running multiple bars and Uh, just being in hospitality and I suppose taking chances when I wasn't sure if it was the right one to take or not different things along the way but
0: yeah I mean the social sort of sciences they really play into um, the whole sort of hospitality profession don't they because so much of what we do is around communication understanding the needs of of someone and and of course every person's needs are different Um, being able to you know, respect someone who needs a little bit of space and or entertain someone who wants to be entertained. It's a big part of it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you're you're you you have to be very receptive to the social cues, but you don't know what those social cues are until you really study them and then each culture around the world and our industry is so incredibly diverse and so international in its in in its very definition that um, you know it, it, it will be different around the world. And so I think I couldn't figure out the way that that would all connect together, but some there were certain days that it actually just clicked. And I think especially when you're working in a hotel in Grant, you can certainly attest to this, but when you're working in an environment that is incredibly high-end, like working in Four Seasons or Fairmont, as, as Grant and I both worked, and he still works, um, you have such an array of international guests that have their own customs and their own ways of communicating, uh, whether verbal or nonverbal. And so if you're not really prepared on how to interact with clients like that on a daily basis, I mean, sure, putting in some extra effort to study that type of thing is is critical for sure.
0: But also, I, I think a lot of it comes just from being in that environment, right? I mean, I think when I first got into hospitality, I wasn't a natural communicator in that way or at least i wasn't empathetic to a guest's needs in in at least not as much as i became um i had to learn i had to make a lot of mistakes on the way before i realized oh no actually this is the correct way to manage that situation or this is the expectation of this particular guest that i'm not meeting right now um and it's difficult you know it's difficult to sort of learn all of that in an academic environment you really need to place yourself within the situation don't you
1: yeah, you, there's there's a lot of elements of dipping the toe in and just seeing where, <laughs> where this sort of world can come in of, of lived, you know, life experience behind the bar versus what you may have read in a book at some point in time and how it all comes together. And certainly you do make a lot of mistakes. But that's part of the fun of, uh, of meeting people and just interacting with people on a daily basis. And it's not just limited to the clients, but also your teammates. They'll come from a wide range of backgrounds as well. We're all trying to just manage each other's personalities in the space and, and be able to present our best selves and do the best job we can on a daily basis.
0: It's one of the reasons why this podcast isn't that difficult to do as well, because everyone we get on is like pretty much everyone's been a bartender at some point with a few exceptions. And so they've, they've spent time like talking to someone who they don't want to be talking to like you guys are now, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but nonetheless managing to appear to be engaged in the conversation and we're not short of people in this industry who can hold a conversation for a long time grant so give us a give us a sort of three minute elevator a very long elevator uh bio um of yours
2: um i mean i'd say different to lauren i think it seemed that she understood what she wanted to do early i knew that i wanted to experience cultures but i wanted to do it more as you were saying like in um in the physical sense, I want to like uh, engage in coming from Australia. We like, you know, in our, airport, by sea, we're surrounded by ocean. You know, we don't connect to another landmass. So yes, we do have a lot of cultures, but I knew it's very common for Australians to get out. So I started a local pub pouring Pikes, from the, my first day of being 18. Um, and I en- enrolled just into a quick uh, hospitality course, it was one or two years of just uh, hospitality and tourism management just because i knew i wanted to use that to travel because it was a job that you can universally to carry around the world um and then from that after two years from working at a pub i was serving the queen at the uh, the commonwealth games and it was i think it was that moment when uh, they were playing in the MCG in melbourne and they asked me to take on the royal service i was like okay this is something that i really really want to get into and i think it's a really cool opportunity in a short year as a 21 year old um And then I went up north and lived on the Great Barrier Reef, worked on a private island, a five star resort, running cool events from cocktail beach parties to um, events and weddings and, you know, setting up tables in the ocean and such. And then. Nightmare. That
0: sounds horrendous.
2: It it was just like in the first two years of hospitality, it was the best years I've ever had, obviously at a young age. And then I was working with a Canadian at the time. He said, We're about to have the Winter Olympics up in Vancouver. You should come across. And I was like, Yeah, why not? Let's go from the beach to the snow and. That was ten years ago, and never really looked back. But from then, once again, I think I met Lauren around about the same time, when I was still young and green at twenty-three. Got um, involved with the Asia World Class um, with Lauren as well. But now working at Fairmont, which is a, a five-star luxury property around the world, I'm now helping out do the beverage program for them globally, the cocktail menus, and helping them do. Yeah, it's it's starting from pouring pints now writing cocktail beans for a hotel globally it is a pretty, pretty cool elevation.
0: Yeah, that is cool. I started out pulling pints as well. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I kind of started in the kitchen really, but only for a year or two and then I ended up on the bar pulling pints cause I, I wasn't having enough fun. Um, <laughs> you're in the kitchen, you're just, you're dealing with an angry head chef rather than, a, you know, a happy customer. Um, so I had to get out and, uh, and, and start, start working behind the bar um just you so you got a qualification pretty early on how important do you think it is to get a qualification now do you think it's still something that's useful from the perspective of an employer and is it useful from the perspective like personal perspective as well
2: uh yes 100 percent. i mean I, I think where one of the first questions people ask is like uh, when they don't really understand our world is they say what bar school did you go to and i'd say it's like one of those unique industries where there's no set bar school, right? It's not something you go to for four years, you study bar and then all of a sudden you're an expert because it's like a lot of on the ground training. But I think the biggest thing is to always invest in yourself. So I think that first two years gave me a really good understanding of like how to make a coffee properly, how to carry three plates. I mean, we're walking up and down a banquet hall, carrying three plates of food for an hour, just to understand how your fingers work. Like, this, you can do on the job, but this just allowed me to, when you go to start work, to say yes, I can carry three plates. I can carry four plates. I know which side to serve from, how to pour wine. You know, it just gave me the basic skill to make have a, a foot above the next guy applying for a job. It's
0: good for confidence as well, right? Because I mean, I've I went into roles in, when I was young, knowing what my limitations were, and knowing I'd never been properly trained to do certain things. And so then you're just trying to wing it, really. And I'm I'm all right at winging it. Um, but you know, you see other people <laughs> suffering the same sort of problems, and it's so you know they're like, nah, if only there was an opportunity to have just been trained on these basic things, like you say, plate carrying, tray carrying, um, real basic stuff that um, can make you look quite incapable if you if you're not able to do it.
2: Yeah, and I mean, also, like, it's just something from, oh, someone wants a glass of cognac. What glass is that going? I remember people asking me that in my first bar job. That The little things, the more you know, even if you don't drink cognac as a 19-year-old, but just, like, to know the glass size, how to carry trays. you say, it just, it gives you that basic understanding. And a lot of the time, I find myself re- reverting back to what I was trained when I was 19, even though it was a short course.
0: Do you, I mean, that job um, where you're working on the Great Barrier Reef sounds amazing. Do you ever, do you have any sort of particular roles or places where you worked, where you kind of think, oh, I wish I could just go back to, to that time and do that. Because careers in, in in any industry really is sort of a one-way street, isn't it? You're kind of looking to progress all the time and you know, you're looking for that pay rise or that new position that's better than the last one. Um, and there's never really that opportunity to sort of take a step back because it feels like a step back. Um, but I I kind of look quite fondly on previous roles I had where I guess it was probably a more care- carefree time in my life, um, less money worries, certainly no children worries, um, and you know I was living quite happily on you know, a lot less money. But you know no, there was nothing wrong with that, and it was great. Do you have any of those?
2: yeah I, there's there was certainly a time when i would say working on the island it was it was um there was only one resort on the island and i moved from being uh, working in the restaurants they moved me in charge of second in charge of the events to yourself and our island would get bought out um, for super cool private events and our my boss was always doing he always had to be on the island so anytime there was an offsite event i had to manage it so it would be so Whitehaven Beach. I think it's one of the top three beaches in the world. We'd do pop-up events for 100 people, and I'd have to get on a helicopter, fly across early in the morning, set up events so when these people landed by seaplane. You know, we had this all set up for them because it's it's a national park. So I got to do all of the coolest events that our hotel got to see, which I think, which is one of the unique things about our industry is like we get, even though we're giving an experience to guests, we get to be a part of it too. And mm. so I think that's why I really love this industry is get to be excited by the experience we're giving to people.
0: So do you think back, do you wonder why you left that role? I mean, you went—you left <laughs> to go to Canada, right? But like, do you ever think, gosh, I just stayed and done that for the rest of my life?
2: Well, yeah, yes, I, uh, many times. I always plan to go back <laughs> quite a bit, <laughs> but it was also cabin fever. I mean, it's kind of living in like a really yeah. small community. There was only 300 staff that worked there. So, I mean, you know, after two years, it was, it was enough and time to move on. But yeah, it was living on the beaches. I work bref- breakfast and dinner. And then I always swim in the afternoon or go to the gym. And it was just, it was a very fun time to be 22.
0: Yeah. Right. What about you, Lauren? Have you got any positions you've held where you're like, God, I should have just stuck that out. What am I playing at? Well,
1: the thing is, and, and Grant, it's amazing to hear your story and I've heard it many times and I never tire of hearing it. And Grant and I have been good pals for a long time since you moved to, to Vancouver. And, uh, there, there are elements to your story, and I think, huh, I should have done more traveling when I was younger. But when I was younger, it like I grew up as a city kid. I'm, I'm downtown Toronto born and raised. So for me, I guess thinking that I could go and travel around, it wasn't really the culture that I was brought up in in my, <clears throat> in my family or, or where I was living. And so it was more, what are the things that I can get lost in? And that's when, you know, having experiences within Toronto or like local areas uh, were quite cool, but there was nothing really going on with cocktail culture at that time in Toronto, either in the early two thousands, like late nineties, early two thousands. But I will say that, you know, there have been so many roles along the way. And I started, I started off my first job was pouring pints. It was, you know, I, I, I ended up becoming almost like an MVP of our bar shift because my hands were big enough that I could pull like the two draft taps at the same time and hold two full Imperial pints at the same time and fill them without smashing or spilling anything. Wow, you're you're just
0: born to do it Lauren. I was just, listen,
1: when you're six foot one and your hair makes you two inches taller and you've got like big hands you know you you're born to pour um to pour pints for sure but i worked i worked in some really cool sports bars like um you know when i first started out that i got to meet these legendary heroes of, of canadian pop culture and canadian sports culture i mean i used to work at wayne gretzky's and as a canadian when you're you know a diehard hockey fan as well when you have these experiences of meeting you know, the great one meeting Wayne Gretzky and making drinks for him and then chatting with him. And he feels like just a regular guy. Um, I met a lot of just really interesting Canadian icons and a lot of the people that I worked with, um, you know, went on to do some really iconic things too. And so that was, that was interesting. I felt like the, the industry for me was less about destination where, you know, I wish that I could have done some of those things, Grant, but I just didn't even know those things existed. If I'm honest, you know what what I had was just it was amazing and incredible opportunities that were just vastly different from like the destination side of things. And um, you know, I've I've but I've run I've run dive bars. I've worked in you know super top end hotels. Uh, I've worked in Michelin level in Canada, which is our really and chateau. And I I think at every step of the way, every moment and similar to what you were saying Tristan about having the sort of like carefree moments of I can just be here I can get paid a bit less I can work with this all-star amazing chef and kitchen crew and just learn and understand the way these intricate tweezer dishes are working you know it's and even just working with great bartenders great bar managers great sommeliers just being on the job working with really great folks in the industry those were major highlights definitely thinking back
0: I'm like you. I although not. I do. I wasn't in a city. I was in a, a different kind of sort of you know like black hole, if you like. That it was difficult to escape out of. That being rural England, um, <laughs> where you know it's. I was quietly going about my way, and you know getting some good jobs and everything. But it never would have occurred to me, you know what? Go travel. Go go to Australia or go to Thailand or, or work there for a year or Hong Kong or Canada, whatever. Um, it just wasn't something it would, it was, that was beyond, you know, any kind of possibility. Um, even London would have been a bit of a stretch at that time. Um, so yes, it, you could say sort of in a rut, I guess, but it worked out in the, all right in the end, I suppose. But, um, I have certain regrets about not having travelled a little bit when I was younger because it's not, not really a possibility anymore, I suppose that, that's, you know, that ship has sailed. Um, if you could get, Lauren, if you could give yourself like a tip then for like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, or, you know, pick a, pick a time frame which this seems sort of suitable to a young Lauren moat, what would you say to yourself if you had, if you could sit yourself down 10 or 15 years ago?
1: Um, I think, well, I have, I, I mean, I have very few regrets. I mean, if any at all, I think the the path that I chose in order to get to where I am now, I just really stopped to think about decisions and, and choices as they came up. And I felt really, you know, grateful to have choices in that moment that I, I could have picked one of, you know, two or three different options. Um, I think if I were to give one tip though, it w- probably would have been to travel um, even if it was just for a year, just being in that, in that time frame, of, you know, between 18 to 22, I just really just went through the grind. Like it felt like almost 24 seven. And I don't regret any of that bit either. Cause I did get to travel, you know, much later, but I think just traveling around Canada, it doesn't really give you the scope as if, you know, you were to travel more to the U S or travel overseas. And I have lots of family in England. So I'd visited there for fit like for family reasons, but there was never any cultural, you know, visits to London, as an example, like, let's go eat in restaurants, let's go, you know, drink in these pubs and these bars. So if I could go back, that would be the one thing is just to have like a bit more of an understanding of what could have been out there to discover that was just as important as staying home and working to the pace that I was that I could just leave for a year and not feel like I was dropping everything for a year, but that I could actually continue on my journey of what I was working on in the moment and have that year abroad to sort of inform, you know, more of what I wanted to do.
0: Do you think the mentality, um, which I guess kind of you and I shared a little bit of like, well, you know, I'm, this is my place. I, I you know, I probably need to try get better at doing what I do in the place where I'm from. Do you think that's changed a little bit because everyone's better connected now, aren't they? And you know, it's, we're exposed to what's going on in different parts of the world in our industry on a daily if not hourly or by minute by minute you know, account do you think that a young bartender in let's say their early 20s is going to be more likely to travel now and work abroad and, and going to be more inspired to do that more compelled to sort of up sticks and go out and work somewhere else because of that connection or do you think it's the way around because we're exposed to it you know every single day and we know what the top bars in Hong Kong are and we've seen them on a virtual tour and we've seen their cocktail lists and videos of them making drinks that there's actually no need to go and travel and work in these places.
1: Well I think I still think there's no replacement for face-to-face interactions and energy with people and cultures and places for sure but I think we've we've you know been blessed in a lot of ways that we have this undeniable unwavering access virtually to any person that we want to learn from or that inspires us that we can connect with or a bar or a place. And that's at our fingertips. And maybe, you know, maybe to your point, maybe it's over access in that way as well. Maybe we don't appreciate so much of what we do have access to um, because there's just so much of it. So I feel like we, we just need to find, I guess, the, the equilibrium of how do we come back to not having to be there so much physically but then also still get what we need from the virtual side to feel fulfilled in some way
0: so um the same question i asked lauren if if you can send your if you can sit down with um the grant that's 10 years younger um what would you what would you say to him don't leave the island man (laughs) (laughs) the rest of the world's a trap don't
2: I, you know what I think the coolest thing is Lauren and I, in some ways, are polar opposite is like, she was very much focused on getting the study done. I was like, I'm going to go travel, um, I'm going to go do this. And I, I definitely had a certain good approach, but I also wish I focused a little more. I was too excited about the whole world. And I think this when we talk about an equilibrium is like, I could have done an online course or I could have like learned more while traveling, but instead I was so engaged with the world. And all I would do is plan where I was going to go next. Uh, what I could do—it was like it was always the next journey, the next adventure. When at the same time I could have actually taken a step back and said, "You know what? For so the next six months while I'm traveling, i do this online course to actually better myself." Because I was more engaged in the moment. I think that would be the thing—is like, you know, not every, you don't have to go to every beach party, you don't have to go to every event, you don't have to be in every place. But at the same time, I was young, and excited. I was a kid. I was like, "I'm going to be here. I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out." Kind of had a big FOMO of what I didn't know when I could have taken that one night off and sat home and studied a little bit more.
0: Yeah, but it's not do you think it's set you back not doing that?
2: Nope.
0: So then <laughs> go to the parties, no, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I mean like this is this is like two I mean the two of us, I mean Tristan yourself as well, but I mean all three of us have taken a very different path and we all are feel quite fulfilled. But there's so many paths. There's like there's no there's no right answer to get no, you know, to whatever success means to you in this industry.
0: Do you do you think nowadays it's possible to plan a career path within this industry as a, a te- to put yourself in the shoes of a young bartender now do you do you think that they can say okay in five years time i want to be um you know a, an ambassador in my market for a whiskey or in seven years time i need to have my own bar um, or in 10 years' time, I want to have a chain of bars um, and, you know, be consulting on, on other bars at the same time. Do you think, because so many people I know, the reason I asked the question, it seems obvious, the answer is yes, of course you can plan for these things. But so many people I know seem to have ended up in the situation they're in, not because they had planned it five or 10 years ago, but because, you know, sort of through a process of trial and error, they've kind of ricocheted off this or bounced off of that or latched onto the other thing and slowly kind of built this career around those experiences do you think that's true
2: um i mean yeah i i think this industry has so many different directions to go you can have a plan for sure but i think if you set your goals on one thing too much you're going to close a bunch of other doors and this industry has lots of opportunity i'm sure all three of us right here have experience things you didn't even think was an opportunity when you started out, like Lauren didn't think she'd be ready a global, um, program, like inspiring barters around the world. Like you don't, these, these aren't jobs that are always, you didn't think were available. Right. So I think one of the things I always say is that kind of, you know, carve your own path and be open to anything. Sure. Like if your goal is to have is to be successful in some format, you can kind of sit how you will relate that success, but also keep your goals in mind of what, who you are.
1: Yeah, I think if you if you're living your values, quite honestly, every day about the the things that you want, the things that you're interested in. And also at the beginning of this conversation, the things that you don't want your your full stop, non negotiable things I'm so not interested in. And taking each opportunity, even if it doesn't feel like a high level conversation. So if we're just having a chat here, why would I put any less effort into this conversation as I would to maybe someone I was trying to get a job or an opportunity with I mean, each interaction should be treated as an audition for something that you may not know what's coming next but if you highlight the things you like the things you're interested in the things you're good at then you might just find the right time and place where things just sort of click and if you shut off like grant said if you shut everything down it's looking at your peripheral vision is actually more important sometimes than staring at the path ahead
2: I, I I'll say too that um, one thing I think this is where I learned it when I think I was 21 is my dad, uh, when I was on the island, I should have stayed, I should not have listened to my father, but um, <laughs> my title at the time was supervisor of events, whatever, and they go, I got offered an assistant manager of a new outlet, but my friend said, come to Canada, I called my dad, I was like, what do I do, like i an assistant manager at 20, like this is, or 21, this is, not, no one's in this manner at this level, this age, and he's like, so if you've been offered the job, that means you're good enough to do it, right? I was like, yep, I suppose so, he's like, then go to Canada because you get the job offer again. And I think at that point, he was kind of like, don't pigeonhole yourself that you have to follow up junior server bartender manager, system managers. It's kind of like, if you've gotten there already, it means you've got the skills, like go learn more. I think that was what I learned early.
0: Yeah, I, I think one of the things I learned um, and, and sort of slightly different to what you're saying is that if there's an opportunity presented to you, take it, even if you are not confident in your abilities to be able to do it, because it's better to at least have a crack at it and work it out while you're on your you know on your feet than to have sort of turned it down and never know whether or not you actually were capable of doing it and and to have missed out and then and be treading water, you know.
1: I hate I hate the pending question of what if. If I think about like things in the past, I'm like, what if? And I feel like I exercised my what if in each of those scenarios except for traveling when I was young, but most of the other ones.
0: Okay, Lauren, question for you um sort of specific to women can you speak to her a little bit about your experience as a woman in the industry because you know women are still a minority and, and that's changing which is great but what challenges have you faced and what advice would you give specifically to young female bartenders or female professionals in our industry
1: it's always an interesting question because i come from a family with some very very strong female role models and so when i when I was growing up in the industry, I never felt like I was in a situation of they're treating me this way, or this is happening to me because I'm a woman. And I mean, it's good in a way because it didn't, it didn't sort of hurt my experience in the moment, my lived experience in the moment. But what I discovered later on as I met more women in the industry, and that was really the thing. I didn't really meet a lot of women that were doing the same thing that I was. So I didn't really have any, case studies that i could compare against but once i started meeting more women in the industry and hearing their stories and experiences then it started to dawn on me that maybe i just i didn't realize it was happening because it wasn't happening to me and that i think is is something that a lot of people go through and it's not just women i think it's uh lots of lots of folks that are underrepresented um, in the industry or really just in any industry in general But I think once you become aware of it, and you have this aha moment of thinking, wow, so it didn't happen to me, because maybe I had a different attitude, or maybe I was just, I was just blessed working for really great people where they just they didn't treat me differently. Yeah, 100%. Um, And so I think it's really important that while I didn't have that specific experience, I had a lot of other experiences that were um, maybe Inappropriate in other ways that may not have been because I was a woman necessarily, but it may have been that there was like a very casual attitude, and it became really inappropriate. But it could have happened to anybody in those moments. So I think it's just it's it's important when when you know we go through uh, you know I guess groupthink atmospheres when we work in bars and restaurants or anywhere else that not everybody thinks the same uh as you might but as a collective as a bar and restaurant you're all moving towards the same uh direction it's important that leaders are you know leading from the top down that you know there's gender equality there's equity across multiple things whether it's you know representing black indigenous people of color um you know trans lgbtq like there's just so many things that need to be aware of now that women is is still an issue but it's not the only issue um, So I, but I'm so proud of where we're getting to in the industry, where we start to see more and more voices. But it's still not enough. I mean, it's not enough to just have, you know, a a, a female that wins world class, as an example. You know, we we're like underrepresented. has been plenty of them now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But now, but it used to, but it used to be that it's like finally a, a woman wins like world class Canada or a woman wins world class USA or world class global. But it's it's such a a bigger conversation than that, that it's about like, how do we just get more representation in general in the industry? And a lot of that has to be that there there's safe places that, you know, have programs in place that give people the opportunity to grow and learn in those in those situations. So um, I think we still have a lot of work to do. We've come a long way, but there's still, you know, a, a lot more work. That we need to do but it it just takes a lot of people in those situations in in leadership positions to just you know create space and create opportunities and and go up against the the walls and the barriers that are put in front of them from antiquated laws or you know policies from the past and just get on
0: with it and what about beyond bartending do you think what do you think if any work needs to be done to help women sort of progress into bar ownership or into ambassador like mentor type positions um, or, or, you know, working with brands, that kind of stuff, as you have done yourself?
1: Yeah, I, I, it's, it's a really good question and also commentary to start having here, because I think in, in terms of mentorship, if there is someone, regardless of what industry you work in, if somebody inspires you, then reach out to them. Oftentimes, the mentor doesn't realize they're a mentor until someone says, hi, I'd like you to teach me something or I'd love to have a conversation. And the mentor and mentee, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a relationship that is equally weighted. So the mentor is not expected to teach you everything they know, but the mentee has to show up willing to do the work. So I think, I think we just need to, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of female mentors out there right now. I mean, I can think of so many off the top of my head that are just in our industry alone, but, uh, you know, just from, you know, the Lynette Marrero, the Monica Bergs, and even like the younger bartenders like Lauren Paler in Washington, D.C., or, you know, like Caitlin Stewart in Vancouver. Like there's just so many people that maybe are not aware of the position they have in the universe of the power they have. And so more people just need to sort of reach out and, and, just, and just be part of that.
0: And I think there's also, you know, if we're giving advice to young bartenders, be it male or female, that that's another, you know, there's an opportunity there to reaching out to people you admire, um, could be people you work with could be people you don't work with. Um, it's gonna be one or the other.
1: I think it's cool, though, like the, the virtual access, though, like, you know, when you say like getting access to, um, to learning from different people, and not even just mentors, but even just reaching out, having FaceTime Instagram live, like, it's, it's incredible, how many people that have been almost like the wizard of Oz behind the curtain in the industry. And you're like, they've posted on Instagram, but you don't know that you can really access them. Or if you type a comment or send them a DM, will they actually respond? But now you're in a situation and DBA is a great example of this. I mean, there's so many of like, you know, top mentors and great people in the industry that are even just coming through the ranks that are featured to be in this accessible moment, to be there for people, to help guide young bartenders or just young people in the industry on their journey.
0: So um, final question, what does the future hold? So where do you see yourself? This is like a careers meeting. um, (laughs) Where do you see yourself, Lauren, in five years time and in 10 years time?
1: I don't really see what I contribute to changing much. I am very, very passionate about education and the networking and development of Young people in our industry, and it, they don't even have to be young. It, it, it just could be that, you know, in our hospitality industry, we are filled with layers of people that are in different parts of their career and their journey. And I think just just being able to develop resources and accessibility for everybody is still the the journey that I'm on. Um, the second thing is that I really want to buy a farm. I really, I really want to like grow vegetables. And if there's
2: a seen your backyard. it looks great.
1: Listen, my, my back garden's is great, but you know, it's, there's a, there's, there's a a connection to nature that I I definitely get here in Amsterdam, but I feel like I, I, I certainly need it on a, uh, on a more daily basis. And if, you know, the world is still going to continue to be as accessible as it is right now, then I think um, it's, it's just focusing less on i guess the the fast-paced day-to-day grind and sort of just pulling back the layers and just making sure that i'm working on things that are really making an impact and those impactful things have to include um, smaller communities it can't just be about big cities and you know big awesome countries it, it's got to be about the you know smaller communities that that definitely need help and could utilize uh, the tools and the resources that that I can develop to, to help them. So I think it's uh, just making sure that I look at things with the lens of um, amplifying voices wherever possible, and just making sure that it's quite inclusive and quite diverse and opinions and people that are involved. Uh, and definitely just continuing to focus on mindfulness, whether that's in in just connecting with, you know, with nature or your family or whatever that is, and how we link that into the to the drinks industry. Um, and then the last thing is just, I guess, like the daily sustainability thing. It's like environmental consciousness, just being aware that, you know, we're renting space on this planet. So let's just make the most of it and leave it in a better place than when we received it. I don't know how easy that's going to be, but at least I can try my best.
2: No, I mean, yeah, obviously we're both in very different positions. Like I've just had a one year old. So I mean, the immediate f- five year focus for me is obviously going to be my family. But I think in doing that, like to your point, is like I want to. I don't want to bring a child into this world that I don't feel that I've made better, right? I don't want to bring it to a place. that's not, it's not equal all the way you raise people or you want to make sure it's education a for the community. I say my integrity plan will be community-based, but I think five-year plan is making sure that I'm going to raise you, I'd say you raise your bar children in a way and you want to make sure they're growing well. But right now I think it's, for me, it's just life. You want to make sure that given everything's happening in the world, that I'm going to focus my energy on making sure that the people she interacts with, how she's grown up um, like the life she's brought into is not the past because I've had so many issues. So it's like, right now it's like a blank slate, like completely blank slate. So you can make sure that changing the world is going to be at this age. And I think that if a lot of parents and people I'm going to interact with, they treat it the same, like making sure that all these pretensions are gone.
0: Cool. So look, thanks ever so much for coming on guys. Um, I really appreciate your time um, and time differences and all that as well and um, yeah we'll, uh, we'll see you soon everyone thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Bar Chat visit diageobaracademy.com for access to more podcast episodes and exclusive content see you next time